We're into the first few weeks of the UAE's new working week and longer weekend. Anecdotally, the impact on businesses and employees has been positive so far. But what are some of the wider implications? And what does it mean for the general trend in terms of the global workplace and digitization of our careers? You're listening to the Business Extra podcast, coming from the National in Abu Dhabi. I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi, Assistant Editor-in-Chief. If you like this show, please do subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your audio content. With me is uh, the National's Future Editor and the co-host, Kelsey Warner. Hi, Kelsey. Hey, Mustafa. So we're uh, sort of less than two weeks into the uh, 2022 and the the change of the working week in the UAE, uh, Monday to Friday now, um, with the weekend being Saturday, Sunday. Of course, um, the idea is that Friday is a half day uh, for, for at least the public sector and, and, and schools, um, not necessarily for all private sector companies. We still seem to be feeling our way through this, but largely the feedback has been positive for people. They feel like the change is working, but also there's still some big questions as to what this will mean, um, not so much for businesses, but I think people individually are asking, you know, what does this mean for me? Right. How, how will this affect home life? Will this bleed into my Saturdays? And then two, we are still wondering how the private sector will align because that transition, of course, has been a bit slower. Although our prediction when we did this episode back in December, when it was first announced that the financial markets would be the first to follow, has proven out, is, has been correct. HSBC, Deutsche Bank, JP Morgan, Bank of America, and the like have all fallen in line. And of course, ADGM and the markets in the UAE have happily shifted to the Monday to Friday to align with the global kind of standard. Uh, But yeah, I think there are sort of the on the ground little anecdotal, as you said, how this will all shake out questions that still linger. But it feels like it was a pretty smooth transition. And I, for one, have locked into the Monday through Friday. I feel fairly seamlessly. How, how have you felt? Well, it, it, it's, I think it's kind of strange because I, even though I've uh, lived and worked in the Middle East um, effectively since 2003, um, I never got used to the Friday, Saturday. Um, I, I don't know. It's what made, it made me realize I never really got used to it, I guess, because <laughs> that, I guess that's what I, I meant when I said that. Yeah. Is I've always thought Monday to Friday, <laughs> either way. And and there's there's a number of reasons for that for me personally, and everyone will have their own reasons. But also, I I I've been thinking a lot about people who, you know, Friday in particular being off and 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 late later in their in their life Saturday must be so strange now to make that shift the other way. So you know we're we're all feeling the change, um, and obviously you know as humans we we don't necessarily like change, but I I feel like there is kind of promise that this works out given that you know there are more you know as i mentioned at the top of the the episode our careers and our lives will continue to have a larger digital aspect and if we're more aligned globally then that should help now having said all that there is the very real fact that the rest of the region um you know still starts their week on a sunday so th- there are some people in in industries who feel that you know and this comes back to your point about you know the blurred lines that they would still have to do something on a Sunday because of Saudi or another market, um, and then still be expected to do something on Friday because the UAE is open. So I think that really needs time 
to resolve itself. Uh, there's no there's no shortcut to working out what what the balance might be, and it may be that ultimately some industries and some some people are working six days instead of seven, but largely the overall benefits outweigh that because there is more productivity in the middle of the week. The weekend is actually a lot more enjoyable, I guess. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm contradicting myself. So. I will say I think an unfortunate byproduct of the UAE shift to a four and a half day work week is us working six days. That <laughs> that feels like a very bad conclusion indeed on uh, on that move. But I, I do think on a personal level, people will need to just build in more flexibility into their own just daily lives. That's what I meant. Thank you for for for, for explaining me. Um, because because what I mean is we will need to be more flexible, but that also works the other way when you want to when you want to take a bit more time to do your own thing. And we're already seeing the UAE as a destination for employee employer surveys to just see how it's going. I saw that Mercer had done a survey of private sector companies, and twenty five percent of them, a quarter of them, said that they plan to move to the four and a half day work week. Only five percent of private sector employers said that they would stick to this Sunday to Thursday work week. So I think early in the year, that's a really early sign that private sector is planning to kind of fall in line even more than I expected on the four and a half day work week and the Monday to Friday shift. I think, I, I mean, I would equate this change to being as as big and, and, and perhaps as important as when VAT was brought in, uh, in the UAE. And, 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 and it wasn't necessarily homogeneously brought in around the region. I mean, Saudi has VAT, Bahrain has VAT, but they, they weren't brought in at the same time. And there was a lot of you know questions then of how we would cope with the VAT regime. But down the line, I don't think anyone thinks about it really now, apart from the businesses that I guess are trying to get their refunds. Um, but for, the, for a consumer and, and for the average person, it, it, it's become something normal. But it was important. It needed to be done for the sort of maturity of, 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 of the economies of this region and you know, diversifying incomes. So by the same token, this change, you know, the, the argument is it needs to be done. So I like the VAT comparison. And I also just like broadening out this conversation to just think about themes around the future of work and how the UAE can be attracting talent in this ever increasingly competitive talent pool, globalized talent pool. So on those themes, we spoke to Diana Wu David, who is a future of work expert and the author of Future Proof. Reinventing work in the age of acceleration. Here it is. The UAE's changed its its work week to match the bulk of the global economies uh, Monday to Friday. Uh, I don't know if you, how closely you've been following that, Diana, but um, you know it's been it's been a big change. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I'd be really curious to see how that feels on the ground from you know a, a thousand feet up. It looks like an interesting way to be in sync with other um, parts of the world. Uh, and at the same time, um, as everything is going to more asynchronous, uh, it seems almost um, intriguing to me because I feel like other economies are in a sense almost going in the other direction saying you can work anytime, anywhere. Well, the second part of that too is a shift to the four and a half day work week and a further emphasis on flexible work particularly on Fridays. And so I'm curious to what you think about that as a potential selling point for employers to potential employees, or if the four and a half day work week, does it get us close to the four day work week? Is this a, is this a flash in the pan trend? What are we, 
What do we and what do we think about the reduction of, of working hours? I think that that is a trend that is, you know, uh, it's already started. Usually it's in different companies. So in Japan, Microsoft trialed a four-day work week. Um, it, you know, lots of people have started to experiment with that um, in the same way that years ago, um, people like Netflix started experimenting with unlimited vacation. So I think that that that's the the trend because automation is taking care of a lot of the the sort of rote lower level tasks and there's discussion about like so what do, what are we actually going to do and how many hours can we really be productive and and turns out the answer is about four per day <laughs> so um, it makes a lot of sense to me from a global kind of macroeconomic perspective as somebody who's been a global exec for many decades I think it's brilliant because this is one of the first places that's putting a stake in the ground saying, you know what, this is going to be standard across our companies. And uh, this is a huge competitive advantage in terms of being able to attract global talent now. And I think that cities and countries are increasingly going to be fighting for the top talent. We've had quite a bit of feedback um, from our audience when we mentioned we're going to be discussing this subject um, about the ch- essentially dealing with change. Like how do you suddenly have to uh, refocus your your productivity, your work week? And can we, I, I guess, you know, from a, a sort of wider perspective, can we get too hung up on these details when in fact each business will have its own natural ebbs and flows, not just through the week, but through the year as well. And you kind of need to to do the work when we need to do the work. Um, and it isn't like, you know, 100 years ago where, you know, the factory whistle would go and then you were done. Um, and, and so I, I guess what people are worried about is that the change becomes just another way for the work-life balance uh, to seem further away. Well, I think it's going in the, the right direction. I do understand that that, um, that kind of structure of, okay, now you have to be working between nine and uh, you know, whatever is 7.30, I guess, to 3.30 where you are. Um, to me, that sounds great <laughs> as a working mom who can spend the afternoon with their kids. Uh, but I think that the reality on the ground is probably much different, right? We we put these structures in place. Oftentimes, they apply to people in the civil service and companies can, um, they can behave well or they can they can behave poorly. It, it doesn't necessarily matter what um, all the government regulations are. To me, in H- Hong Kong, where I live right now, um, we used to have a six-day work week, and it wasn't too long ago that they they shortened it to a five-day work week. Uh, and so, going down to four and a half, it seems like it's progressing towards work-life balance. Um, I think the proof is in the pudding on a company level as to whether or not. If I would rather have the morning, I can come in and you know work from three thirty to the evening. Um, but that's something that every company right now is grappling with, really. So, what is the work to be done? Uh, who is doing the work? How are we collaborating on on the work? Uh, who's leading it, and how do we measure it? Dana, you work with companies to help them develop strategies to future proof their businesses and. That cuts probably two ways. One is the the rise of the robots and preparing for automation in the metaverse and the like. But the other half of that 
is talent recruitment and thinking about just human resources. And this, what we're talking about with work-life balance, does work-life balance appear on the priority list of corporate executives these days when they're thinking about future-proofing? Are we being wishful here? I think it absolutely does. And it's not when they're thinking about future-proofing, it's when they're thinking about business continuity. Uh, People are almost worried about future-proofing because they have refocused on mental health of their people, which I think is really important, focused on safety. Um, And so when they're thinking about work-life balance, um, so much of that is, is just in the midst of crisis. Um, and right now, they're looking at how can we keep some of the benefits of how we changed management in the pandemic, becoming more flexible, um, really management upskilling themselves in terms of communication, um, checking in, feedback loops with their people, and still be looking out into an uncertain environment where they need to craft what's next, craft a vision, get people inspired to go forward. Um, and it's just a it's a global talent marketplace with a declining population in most developed countries. So, you know, if that's the case, then and people want work-life balance, then that will be part of the equation. And competition is right, is fierce. And so to establish a competitive advantage in today's marketplace. What are companies selling? Is it the four and a half day work week? Is it a robot will help you with your job? What are the what are some of the things that you're seeing? In my research for Future Proof, the book and subsequent um, research, I spent a lot of time painting pictures of plausible futures of work and and more generally. And people were really uh, afraid, and leaders wanted to know what to do about that. And so what I found were some core elements. One of them is a sense of belonging. And you see this um, with people joining decentralized autonomous organizations now, not necessarily being compensated, but wanting to be a part of something. Um, Somebody here who's in fashion uh, just had one of their executives that, that they said wasn't really that motivated, come back after five years and say, I still want my job. I want it two days a week. And I, I want to go all in on blockchain for the other three days. So, um, you know, she said the only um, thing or, that was was really striking to her was that it was the first time in five years that this employee came and had like the fire in their eyes. <laughs> and she said, yeah, re- I'll take you for two days in this new kind of um, really excited, enthusiastic version of you versus the five days a week where you were just phoning it in and and kind of not that excited about your job. All right. So when we think about excitement for our jobs, it seems like there's this new line coming out of the pandemic that we're all re-examining our relationships to work and, you know, how much do we really want to be there? (laughs) How meaningful does it need to be in order for us to want to draw a paycheck from, from this place? In your work, when you're thinking about these kind of big questions, where do people where should people begin to think about this idea of what work or position aligns with who I want to be? Are people thinking about this more? Is this is this an urban myth of the pandemic or is this a real question that people are asking and if they are, what are productive ways to actually engage on that on that really important question? I don't think it's a myth of the pandemic. I think it is part of the zeitgeist. I did a TED talk that was basically about that topic in 2016. 
and people were coming up to me afterwards in tears saying, I, I've done all the right things. And these were people in their 20s, people in their 40s, all different ages and occupations saying, I did the right thing. I got into the right school. I'm in the right job now. And I am miserable. And so I think the pandemic allowed us the space and time to really reflect and say, what do I want to be doing? Um, you know, people were so busy that they didn't really have time to think about what else might be out there. During the pandemic, they could spend more time at home and see what that felt like. They could start to explore their hobbies. They could find out if they actually liked their families enough to spend more time with them, uh, you know, and start to explore other options. And because of remote work um, and because of flexible work, so many more opportunities came up for better places to work that wouldn't require you to work either on site or 80 hours a week or commute for two hours a day. Diana, working mothers, are they an endangered species? And if so, how do we take them off that list? Well, it's interesting. There's been a lot of talk around the pandemic uh, about women bearing the brunt. And I think that uh, what's interesting is Prior to that, McKinsey did some studies that men's attrition since 2015 was actually higher than women. Uh, but truly during COVID, that changed. And 23% uh, of women with children under 10 are thinking of quitting their jobs entirely. And 13% uh, of senior level women with children are thinking about downshifting. So it's clear that... Uh, the work, the second shift that we do at home is certainly affecting women's advancement. And COVID brought that to light in a way that was uh, much more obvious. And I think it's affected, you know, both parents. Are they an endangered species? I don't know, you know, it's sort of like how long will COVID last? What are the other opportunities we have to build in support for working parents? What kind of management upskilling do we need uh, for people to understand how to get the best out of people and working women in particular, um, which might require a greater degree of flexibility or a new mindset on the part of a manager uh, that we haven't quite had time to adopt yet, it seems. So um, I think in, in the very beginning, where to start is with managers really understanding that um, talent and the competition for talent is fierce. And if they are not paying attention to the working women in the midst, uh, they will really lose out and have a much smaller talent pool and probably have to pay much higher prices. A much smaller talent pool, a less diverse talent pool. To me, it's as somebody who was raised by a working mother and who aspires to someday be a working mother, it is inexcusable to me that we, you know, are underemployed, often part-time workers, and that this is really still an unsolved challenge. And so how do we become solutions oriented around this? And is it simply flexibility or do we really have to change, change hearts and minds? For working women, which has been, you know, a real issue for many people at the board level and, and CEOs and certainly CHROs, one of the most pragmatic ideas, uh, which has been really difficult during the pandemic, is paid childcare. It is something I'm frankly shocked isn't part of more packages 
Um, but some of the best companies have installed on-site daycare and been able to retain women and men who can understand and know that their children are being taken care of well. They're not an, an hour away in terms of a commute. Um, they're being looked after well. And in terms of the second shift, I think that it really does have to be hearts and minds, maybe at the CEO level, at the board level, but fundamentally, you know, at the, in the, at the home level <laughs> where people are really chipping in and there's more um, contribution in the home and more equality in terms of those partnerships. How that's going to happen is, is beyond me. So I'm all for onsite childcare in the meantime. Mindful that we're speaking to you in a new year. What do you think the themes are going to be of 2022 in terms of future of work? The last time we spoke, it was in 2020, and it felt like the big word was automation. Now we're moving, we're moving onward. It's Web 3.0, it's metaverse. But what are you seeing? I've been working with a metaverse client, and I think that 2022 will be the year of the metaverse and decentralized autonomous organizations. And that while not everyone will go there, the way that people are organizing to work will fundamentally change the expectations people have of employment and the way that they come together. So my bet for 2022 is Metaverse. That was Diana Wu David, an expert on the future of work. That's it for today. Kelsey, thank you so much. Thank you. All that remains to thank our production team, Arthur Edison and Ayesha Khan, and you all for listening. Join us again next time.